Hey everybody, it's your old friend John Luna with another RFC minicast. So this week, we're flying by the seat of our pants with zero prep, which is way different than every other minicast, I can assure you. Joining me this week, Diecast and Brian Kilby. Boys, how are you doing on this fine Monday night recording time? Oh, not bad. I'm doing excellent. Awesome. Excellent. That's a high bar, dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, can't get better. Much better right now. Wow. All right. <laughs> We're going to ride that high. I need some of that energy. Send some of those good vibes over. Not that I'm doing bad. I'm just not doing that awesome. I'm glad to hear it, Diecast. You deserve it, dude. How's the new house? That That's that's what's awesome. Is it? It's a lot of work, but, it, it you know, I still don't feel like I'm settled in yet, but mm-hmm. I'm doing a lot of projects. And by I'm the- sure not. It should be perfect. Oh, yeah. You guys are both uh, in new uh, new abodes. So, Brian, it's not going so great for you right now? I just feel like I'm overwhelmed with um, stuff. <sighs> like, I have a lot of crap. <laughs> really? I have, I have so much stuff. You don't say. Like, in my, in my old house, my stuff, like, when I say stuff, I mean, like, my collection took up two rooms. I've consolidated it to one room. Uh, um, it's kind of crazy. Congratulations, I think. Yeah. Uh, is some of that stuff like never coming out of a box again? Or the closet, yeah. It's the way it works, for sure. Yeah. Diecast, what about you? Have you like unpacked your collection, or are you still in boxes? I'm still in boxes, especially because uh, my collection is the last thing to get unboxed because it's the least necessary out of all the things in the house. So, like All the projects I'm doing... That comes first. Or leading up to unpacking, you know, my collection. Um, That's why I'm excited projects done. I mean, you can't argue with the logic there, uh, you know? I, I, I'm kind of out of storage to put stuff once it, I actually have it out. So um, I think my wife and I are going to rent a U-Haul and take it to Ikea and uh, honestly buy a ton of furniture. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Where is yeah. the nearest I- Ikea? Is it in Charlotte? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's about 25 minutes from here. All right. Not bad. Not bad. Um, guys, to one degree or another, I bet some third-party toys are in storage in your new houses. Diecast maybe more than Brian and John combined. But uh, I would say we're all three um, in the third-party uh, consumer group to some degree. And that is what I want to talk about this week. And... Before we get into it, save your tweets, everybody. Save your Facebook posts and save your emails when it comes to the, uh, the ethics of third party. Uh, we're going to set that aside and accept third party as something that is here, and it's a thing, and it is what it is. Yeah. And uh, what we want to talk about, what I want to talk about, what all three of us are going to dive into is the creativity of third-party companies and designers, uh, many of whom are legit talented, and that uh, they're kind of between a rock and a hard place when it comes to innovation, creativity, and putting their own spin, ironically, on Transformers characters. So, guys, um, I'm going to start, kick off the conversation, with the uh, currently the biggest and most expensive uh, lightning rod, I think, right now, uh, and that is Pandanus. 
So make toys, not Scorponok, which is sort of inspired by G1, sort of not. But there's definitely like this kind of love-hate and a very vocal crowd of people either for or against this toy visually. And he's really what inspired this conversation. Uh, it seems like make toys just can't win by doing their own thing. They're getting lambasted for doing something that isn't G1 enough. And if they did something that was G1, they would get lambasted for that. So um, why don't we start with Brian? I know Brian was kind of like into this topic. Um, you know, Brian, what are your immediate thoughts, you know, either specifically about pandanus or just kind of offshooting from pandanus when it comes to that that kind of like, I don't know, that civil war almost, if you will, like within the fandom that we kind of see now on Twitter, whenever a third party toy is released. So <clears throat> with pandanus, I dig it and I would totally buy it if it wasn't like, what, 500 bucks? Yeah, four, but still. Yeah. 400 bucks. Yeah, that's outside of what I am comfortable paying for a toy. Uh, I mean, that's like a car payment. <laughs> so, um, you know, of course, then when I think, oh, that's just a car payment, and I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe, maybe I will. <laughs> but um, he, he, it's, it's one of those things. Like, I am one of those people that bemoan the fact that uh, third party stuff often tends to be just slavish G1 uh, homages. But when I look at the stuff that I buy, that's all that I buy. Like, uh, so I just really feed the problem. Like, I, I look, probably my favorite third party toy is the um, perfect, uh, not the perfect effect, the, um, oh goodness, it's, is it MMC, the uh, Mirage? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really like that toy. And um, it, and I have it beside of my G1 Mirage. And it's like, uh, it's like, it's like Mirage grown up. And it's nice, and it makes me happy, and it gives me the warm fuzzies. But uh, if, but with Hasbro, when they create something new and original, like uh, go back to Classics Mirage, which is a nice reinterpretation of Mirage, I applaud them for that. I don't. I think it boils down to the fact that a, a, an official toy tends to run fifteen bucks, where like a, a nice third party toy, a masterpiece style third party toy, is probably like a hundred twenty, hundred thirty. But even like. A, less than masterpiece quality toy still tends to be like 75 80 bucks mm-hmm. i think it's just the, the cost of entry is what is what throws me off mm-hmm. uh diecast your thoughts oh pandanus that's that's a whole that's a whole conundrum right there because you got not really g1 uh really nice design i really do like it i i wish i could get it right now but <laughs> new house um but then again, the tail has like a transformer symbol on it. <laughs> like you're trying to do your own thing. You could have totally, totally avoided that. Um, but you know, it, it's, and I think it's selling well. So I, I don't think that's as much of an issue as like when fans project does something that's, you know, not G one at all. Like the, uh, like the throwback G kind of throwback figures that they did whatever that tusk figure was or that that thing was just and now you can get it on clearance for like 180 dollars for the set really let me go do that it was (laughs) i think don picked that up for like 180 bucks or something like that uh when it was originally like for something so yikes that's another instance of you know well they did something different but no one wanted to buy it or at least not a lot of people wanted to buy it 
So I think one thing that Brian brought up uh, in a side conversation one time was the idea of like opportunity cost and people uh, kind of like fantasizing or assuming that if all the resources dropped into pandanus as this kind of um, uh, one designer's vision of what Scorponaut could be, if all those same resources weren't put behind that idea, then surely they would have been put behind just a straight up slightly evolved version of the G1 toy. Um, I don't know if that's accurate. I mean, I mean, I definitely think that's how people think. I don't know if it's accurate. I mean, Brian, do you want to expand on that thought? Actually, I think you did a pretty good job summing it up. Um, the, I mean, again, it boils down to some people really want uh, slavish G1 toys, and other people are more willing to spend money on more creative and uh, risky toys, uh, third-party toys. But, I mean, like, for me, in my mind, what third-party is, and I guess third-party is evolving, but to me what third-party is, it's slavish reimagination of, like, a pre-existing toy. Like, oh, I can't get a masterpiece version of, say, I don't know, uh, Sunstreaker, so I am getting, you know, I got uh, whatever that third-party not masterpiece sunstreaker was uh and i mean not not just it's not obviously not just masterpiece style i mean you know third parties evolved from say (laughs) classic style to uh you know generations uh and and what have you but generally speaking it seems like this the um it's probably not fair to say but to me it seems like the the comfort zone the third party toys have fallen into is like third party masterpiece style toys Mm -hmm. um Maybe maybe not fair, but that's sort of <clears throat> sort of how I see it. Um, when again, I just feel more comfortable with Hasbro owning Transformers, and I and I, for I put that in quotes, but I shouldn't because Hasbro owns Transformers; it's theirs. <laughs> uh, but like when whenever they want to be more creative and more edgy and you know push the envelope, I'm way more comfortable and fine with that because um, they are the ones who own it and they can do with it whatever they want but in my mind with third parties they, they tend to more borrow which you know again <clears throat> all the ethics of this aside in my mind they're sort of borrowing or sort of <sighs> recreating what you know transformers was to them uh to fill in that niche of toys that they can't get to me i'm more comfortable buying something that just looks like the or what i imagine a 21st century version of some, you know, obscure G1 toy is. So there's there's two directions I want to take with that. Um, uh, first, diecast uh, to you. So third party as like strictly artistic expression. Um, we know it's we know it's commercial art. So at some point it has to make money just to like continue itself. But um, since it's not official. And like, there's not that inherent ownership, like Brian's talking about. Is is that is that a big reason? Do you think why third party like has to stay so close to G one because or, or or so close to like source material? Because if it if it gets too far from it, we don't know exactly like what it is. I, I like how you say it, art because I really do feel like the designers who imagine the transformation. Um, 
even if they do use reference material from, you know, the original show or the original toys or whatever it is, I mean, obviously there is some unique transformations throughout uh, third party as a whole. So, you know, I do enjoy the engineering aspect of third party toys. Um, and as, you know, Brian said, if they get away from slavish G1, you know, if Hasbro does it and they're reimagining a figure, as Brian said, again, price point. Well, yeah, that reimagine of a figure may only be, you know, 15 bucks. But if a third party does it, depending on the size, Pandinas, you know, aside, it's going to be around, you know, 100 to 150 bucks, give or take. So if people don't like it, they're they're more likely to spend $15 from Hasbro, you know, when they can go out to Walmart and just pick it up on the shelf and be like, ah, it's only 15 bucks. If I really don't like it, I can, you know, donate it or throw it out or something as opposed to a third party figure when you're spending 150 bucks when that could be a car payment for you. That that's a big difference and that's why I think the slavish the non-slavish G1s unless they're really awesome like Pandinas uh, just don't do well. I mean, that's what people want to spend their money on. They want to fill that hole. So if they can't get a masterpiece Skyfire, you know, they're more willing to spend a hundred, two hundred bucks on that because they know Hasbro's probably not going to do that. So they're never going to have the opportunity to get that in a masterpiece collection. So, uh, so one thing I want to mention, like. Uh, third-party toys don't tend to come out in waves. So, say you get you want a combiner or some sort of subline like Dinobots, you typically have to wait for it. So, the, so one thing that kind of sucks is like I really got into Lost Exo Realm from Fans Project, and Fans Project tends to make non-slavish uh, interpretations of characters. So, I really liked the Lost Exo Realm Dinobots, and they got through. Um, LER03, which was the not swoop, and it was okay. I, I didn't get it. Um, I still plan on it. But we got the Lost Exo Realm uh, Grimlock, and or not Grimlock, and I don't know. There's something it's something about it doesn't really. I don't really like it. So the two the two hundred bucks or whatever that I you know or potentially three hundred bucks that I've invested in that line, I don't know that I want to finish it. And where, you know, like with a, a wave on, uh, you know, Hasbro product, I can spend 75 bucks and get, you know, five toys. It, again, it, I, think, I think it really comes down to price. So one thing that I do want to touch on, and, and Diecast, you touched on it briefly, was the, like the transformation. Do you think, uh, this is for both of you, but we'll start with Diecast. It was his idea. Uh, transformation as like an aspect of the toy. Do we give that as like super fans, even us as super fans, do we give the transformation enough credit as a part of the toy? I don't know if everyone does. I, I mean, I like to because uh, it, it is one thing, like I said, that I do really enjoy about third party figures is there's transformations that, you know, we never seen in in other people's work, uh, whether it Hasbro or, you know, whoever. So and I think that's a big part of it, you know. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, they're called transformers, but yeah. I feel like we barely, we barely like hover on on that part of the toy and like really like take that in as as a critical part of what makes this toy 
different or even just the reason why it exists? I mean, Brian, what do you think? Uh, what do you think of, of us as a fandom and like, what, how do we treat like the transformation and the engineering process of each toy? I love, I love elegant, intuitive transformation. And I think with typically speaking with like Hasbro combiner wars, generally speaking, we get that. Um, Sometimes Hasbro's product isn't like that. Say some of the generations to- generations toys. I'm thinking of like um, uh, War for Cybertron Optimus. You know, sometimes you get a toy and you just want to you just want to you know ta- get it halfway through and you you just want to stop. Um, I hate hate Transformers that feel like I'm doing origami, whether that's official or third party. Um, I don't like panel. Tra- I don't like panel transformations i think it's usually a a cheap silly way of you know getting a a transformation out of a toy um like i'm going back to uh sun surge uh i was just getting frustrated transforming that toy until it at the end it clicked and it came together and it was really nice and it makes a really nice robot mode but i again just frustrated with the transformation it makes me not want to touch it i'm uh, also going back to uh the um goodness uh the gigantic uh a masterpiece chrome dome which is from uh is that mmc again no uh, that's make toys make toys uh yeah the uh oh yeah uh, cupola uh i i i don't think i've ever not enjoyed transforming something as much as i've not enjoyed transforming that thing it's just it's not a satisfying transformation given the size of it uh i expected a a better more elegant transformation it's just i it felt like panel trans it felt like a panel forming and i just i i hate that crap and i hate it when takara does it i hate it it's typically a takara thing not a hasbro thing it's takara typically engineers like masterpiece toys um but i hate that stuff and i i get really frustrated when when i get a toy that that transforms that way I guess what are some of uh, what are some positive examples, especially in third party for you for transformation? Uh, uh, I'm looking at not kickback, and I say not because I don't know, you know, what his name is. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, the transformation's really nice. I I honestly think it's the best out of the three, but I don't think it's perfect either. But I do enjoy how you know the back legs kind of go into the back. It cleans up really nice in robot mode, which the other two uh, didn't do as well. Uh, I've heard a lot about Function X kind of, kind of in general having nice ideas. Yeah, nice ideas, but I, I don't know. I've, I've not been that crazy about – like people talk about uh, Smart Robin. And it, yeah, it's interesting. I can't say it. – and it was novel. It was nice seeing it that one time, uh, the way that his le- the wings fold into the legs. But – other than being novel, it's kind of like watching a movie. It's kind of like watching a movie that sort of makes you think, but you didn't really enjoy it. It's like, oh yeah, it was nice. It was nice watching that. Uh, I'd I never want to see it again. <laughs> like I, I, I think certainly not frustrated by any by any means, but I just I don't know. I didn't draw any satisfaction satisfaction from Smart Robin. I uh, one figure I really liked the transformation on was DX 9s not Galvatron, whatever that thing's name was. Tyrant. Tyrant. Uh. For me, it was it wasn't too difficult, and 
it all came together very nicely. How does it how does it compare to sugar whatever whatever the not uh Astro Train is? Oh, Chigger. Chigger, Chigger. Chigger, Chigger. Uh he would I I like him too. I like DX9 stuff a lot. Um and the people that had problems with the transformation originally weren't doing it right, but I was I think that's because there was a test shot going around with no instructions and the way you move the thumb, if you move the thumb one way, you can actually, in shuttle mode, everything comes together fine. Uh, and once I did the transformation once or twice, it actually really made sense. But it's one of those toys where halfway through your transformation, you're like, this can't be right. <laughs> but then it does. It ends up being, you know, coming out right. So I think that's one thing with Chigger that was kind of confusing. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's so much good third party out there and then i think there's so much like there's so many third party figures i can think of off the top of my head that was like that was really bad there was a lot of parts forming or stuff like that and that's when the fandom tends to get really angry is when there's a lot of that stuff going on and they're paying a premium for the figure you definitely get like the struggle of lumping third party together like all of the companies together into a singular conversation. I I have been so guilty of that in the past, but you can't do it. Yeah, you can't. There's a huge, there's a growing divide. I would say there's a gigantic, there are people that do a great job on it, like to make toys. And then there are people who don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, like, I guess like a lot of things, the bad press is kind of what jumps out. So the, the ones that burn people uh, certainly taint uh, the whole thing for everybody else. Um, One thing I did, I did want to mention is that one area of third party that does seem to get a pass, kind of going back to the original idea of, of third party makers getting uh, criticized no matter what they do with, uh, with the source material. One thing that I feel like they get a pass on is doing things and, and creating toys of characters that the fandom deems will never be made by Hasbro. So one of those would be, say, the DJD. That, Tarn. Uh, yep, that Master uh, Mind Creations is... Uh, slowly but surely cranking out. I feel like largely uh, they're getting a pass for that and 99% embraced because the fandom has kind of decided, I guess the hive mind has decided this is never going to be done by Hasbro. So um, it gets fans endorsements. Um, the other thing though, the other side of uh, of one of the things that we were kind of discussing as far as like not being able to get away from the source material that I definitely want to like talk about is how much of this is, I wouldn't say it's Hasbro's fault. Maybe I should say it's, it's a result of Hasbro's actions. And we've talked about this in pre-shows and post-shows, but not really on a, an official minicast or anything like that. But the, the kind of result of Hasbro starting around 2006 continually just redoing G1 and a whole generation of fans now have grown up knowing nothing but a world of transformers where we take the same eight to 10 characters and just recycle them over and over and over. And they're all based on the original cartoon. Um, Brian, what, I mean, what's your take on what Hasbro has done uh, over the last decade with, um, with its roster and the visuals of the core characters and how that has rubbed off on everybody, including third party. I mean, there's 
been so much less creativity in Transformers since, say, the end of, uh, I don't know, animated. I might even go back farther and say uh, Cybertron. Um, not that I don't love animated. Gotta love animated. And it's the best uh, Transformers series, uh, except for Beast Wars, ever. Uh, but it's 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 still very... Um, uh, it owes a lot to G1. It's a love letter to it's G1. A, it's a love letter to G1. Uh, I don't know. I kind of feel like uh, fans have been... Uh, I say a generation of fans, but really we only had two generations of fans that um, really got anything new. Uh, three. I guess if you, if you say the 80s with G1, the 90s with what little G2 there was in Beast Wars, and then the early 2000s with the uh, Unicron trilogy and um, Robots in Disguise. That's really been the only... Only is not the right word. But that's really been the peak of uh, creativity and new IP generation from Transformers. Uh, like you said, everything basically for the last 10 years has just been churning out new versions of characters from the 80s. Um, I kind of hate it, you know, honestly, now that you put it that way, because I really did love um, the fact that Transformers was always this new and uh, ever for, uh, forever regenerating, you know, uh, brand. Where back in, I remember back in the 90s on all Toys Transformers, people would say, well, man, why can't they just bring back G1? And I was always like, they'll never bring back G1. Quit whining. And of course I was wrong. Because, and that's all they do now. It's, 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 it's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something we wouldn't have imagined, I think, back then. Of course, back then, like the idea of any kind of like singular idea running continuously basically for a decade would have been unheard of. Because there was just that much less history to work off of. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's they're kind of treating Transformers like I don't know. It's DC. I, I was I would say Marvel, but Marvel, at least with their toy lines, they can get pretty obscure. DC tends to stick with their you know Mattel t- tends to stick with the iconic DC characters. Um, yeah, Hasbro's really focusing on like these iconic characters and throwing in some uh, niche and obscure characters. Um, you know, fairly regularly, but not. It's not the bulk of what they're doing. So, Diecast. I mean, Diecast. What do you think of of the last ten years? Are we reaching a point where we're going to have to break out, or do you think this is just the way it's going to be? There's no reason to change. What do you think? Yeah, I just, I, I kind of think it's the way it's it it is going to be, and the way it has to be, because if you steer too far from original. Uh, you may lose a whole group of fans. So, it, it, you know, when you went to animated, if there were all new characters and, and and everything, the people who knew who Optimus Prime was or knew who Bumblebee was, uh, they weren't going to, you know, they may not watch it. They may not continue to the next story that they're trying to tell uh, just because there's no characters that they recognize and they may not even give it time to see if they like those new characters. But, Kind of like they did, and and I'm not a big comic book person, but I feel like that's what they do with comic books. They introduce a new comic book character in someone else's comic book, and then they go ahead and spin off into their own comic book. And the whole universe tends to intertwine, and eventually you go back to the starting point again. And you so doing that. So I know this is a simplistic way of looking at things, but if you just take the measure – 
being shelf space. Has uh, Transformers had way more shelf space when they were creating new characters and new ideas. Uh, now you go to a Walmart or a Target, and it's just, um, I mean, especially Walmart, you have just a couple of facings, and th- there's not a lot there. Uh, but it, it may be, the, I don't know, maybe the movie, the movies that, that, that that's causing this. But it, it seems like there were way more, uh, you know, facings of Transformers back 10, 15 years ago compared to today. I mean, heck, at one point, uh, back in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, um, Hasbro had four different Transformers brands on the shelf at one time or Transformers uh, lines on the shelf at one time. You don't really see that as much these days. Yeah, I think some of that um, is, like you say, the effect of movies, Marvel movies, and even Transformers movies themselves kind of creating this uh, high-low um, pattern through, throughout the years. Like uh, a year with a movie gets a certain amount of shelf space, and a year without a movie gets uh, far less. Maybe that's one reason why they're trying to release three movies three years in a row. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the other thing, too, kind of going back to the creativity thing, is it's probably, like you say, Diecast, it's, it's higher risk to present a new idea to a retail buyer. But the reward is if they, if they buy into it, if it's a new idea, you probably have an easier time convincing them that they need more of it to tell the story. So uh, with your Unicron trilogy stuff, each, each, for better or worse, each one of those years, those lines had a big idea of some sort. And you would have to convince the buyers, and they did, uh, that you needed... X number of toys to adequately t- adequately tell the story, and uh, you know a, a one limitation, one challenge to Combiner Wars in particular, if you want to like zero in on that one, is so long as you have just enough pegs to display the team, like the one wave of five to seven toys. What other reason would you have to display it? You well, you don't really, and then you're gonna have so you have to sell the buyer on Combiner Wars in a vacuum almost, and then uh, Robots in Disguise kind of in a vacuum, and anything else kind of in a vacuum. So there's certainly a challenge there in the way Transformers is presented, and the uh, the other thing too is that uh, I think everybody knows quite well is we see the effects of not having a mainstream hit talked about show for kids and it's been a while since we've had that in transformers and a show for kids what's that yeah so a show that kids actually watch uh what's that yeah for sure that's a big challenge that they have to obviously solve at some point if they want to get shelf space back so um last thing going back to the before we uh call it a call it a mini cast Last thing I do want to talk just a bit about is the phenomenon, Brian mentioned it earlier in the conversation, third-party masterpieces. Um, I will admit that this is a concept. I'm not the biggest masterpiece f- uh, fanatic. I get one every now and then. So I'm, I'm even further removed from the, the allure of third-party masterpiece. But it's most definitely a thing now. Um, and by nature, it is slavishly G1. And it's starting to look like it's kind of a race to make characters before Hasbro and Takara inevitably make the same characters. So 
Diecast, I'm going to start with you since you are a third-party connoisseur and a fan of third-party masterpieces. Um, give us a state of the union on third-party masterpieces as a category of third-party. Is it? Are they doing it well? Could they be doing it better? Are you happy? Are you uh, not satisfied with it? Uh, I mean, what's your take on this category as it stands today? Oh, I'm, pre- I'm pretty happy. Uh, you know... Like Brian said, there's companies that do it really well. There's Fans Toys, which always does a really nice job. MMC's been doing a nice job. Uh, Make Toys has been doing a great job. So there, there, there's a bunch of companies out there uh, that have just been really doing some excellent work. And I, I'm filling in my collection uh, with Masterpiece-style figures really nicely uh there's one i'm still waiting for the skyfire from fans toys which i'm hearing you got chronos yeah uh, yeah well that you know that's (laughs) (laughs) if it didn't fall apart in the move i'm not (laughs) uh but uh, you know i that's one figure and what i've heard is by the end of the year we might even see that that they went back and re-engineered it and they're spending more time on that because they don't want it to be anywhere close to Kronos. <laughs> so I think it's a great time to be collecting and I'm really happy I'm able to do it and I feel lucky uh, because they are expensive and not everyone can afford to uh, to collect these. Um, so and you know i'd per- i if i didn't have the money i'd be perfectly happy with the four or five masterpieces that we get released officially throughout the year even if it is importing them so but yeah i, I mean I, I can't complain at all there there's some third parties that i have not bought there's some that i've stayed away from uh just because i heard the quality was bad or the transformation wasn't that good and there's so many people doing them that you know someone else is going to do a third party hound or you know hopefully hasbro will and that's one thing i i've done as a fan is i'll even buy the hasbro version if i have a previous third party version uh because i want to support the official and you know if there's an official representation of it i i want to have that in my collection even if i do have another that's similar to that so real quick when it comes to third-party masterpiece it's still kind of a wild west category where you're getting like multiple companies doing the same characters uh in close proximity to each other diecast do you have a um do you have like a method to choosing one one third-party version over the other like say uh, like for example like the uh, the hound and uh, the hound uh, not the the infernos and the grapples of this world that was one that happened within the last year i mean what's your do you have a method on like choosing which one to go with i wish i had a great method because sometimes my sometimes i you know one comes out and another one comes out after that and i'm like oh, i should have got that version um but no, I mean, uh, companies are a real big thing to look for. If you like a particular company and how they design their figures, uh, some people tend to stay with that. Um, 
I tend to try and look at the designs and look at the aesthetic in both robot and vehicle or alternate mode to see like the reflectors. God, we're we're on our third masterpiece reflector now because Make Toys did it, uh, then Fans Toys, and now KFC is doing one. So there's three of them, uh, and they're all slightly different depending on what you want. Uh, so yeah, it's. It's really hard, uh, and I hate to say it, a lot of times it's the first out of the gate is going to get my money unless it's a company that I tend to really stay away from or a first-time first company. Uh, the established companies, the first one to be out is usually the one I go to. So, hey, question. Speaking of that, uh, did you get uh, Make Toys Hellfire, which is Inferno, or are you doing the Ocular Max Backdraft or what? Yeah, I, I, we were playing with uh, the Make Toys Inferno at BotCon, actually. Do you like it? Yeah, he was really nice. I got it. I got to play with Grapple, the test shot, uh, when we were at TFCon, and uh, it 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 just it wasn't over engineered. It was really nice transfer, transformation. Had a lot of die cast in it, uh, so it had a good weight and. Uh, yeah, so as soon as that one came out, I picked it up right away. I mean, that was kind of one, you know, I had previous experience. With, like, you when, know, I liked it. when it comes to the remaster stuff, I have the visualizers. They're okay. Uh, I have Cupola. I hate the transformation, but the feel of the toy is nice. It's just so damn big. Um, I, I'm sort of torn between Hellfire and Backdraft, but I, I think I am sold on Gundog. Uh, big Bad Toy Store still has it in stock right now. I may pick that up. But part of me, even though for for goodness sakes, I, I kind of hate cupola uh, from a from a transformation perspective and a size perspective. Uh, Ironwell is up for pre order, and part of me wants to get it. I don't know why. I have a problem. I seriously have a problem. Brian, do you have any uh, problem aside? Uh, I mean, how do you approach third party masterpieces? Uh, I mean, it depends. Like the couple, the couple that I, the few that I bought. It, it, some of them are debatable. I, I would not call Sun Surge a masterpiece toy exactly. It, it's it's approaching a masterpiece, but I, I don't think it is. Um, but like Ocular Max Sphinx, which is that uh, Mirage, there's so much die cast in it. It feels nice. The, it's got a nice transformation. It looks nice on my shelf. If I feel that a toy is within the same relative scale as official masterpiece toys... I and I like the look of it. That it's pretty much as simple as that. Like again, I realize that the the headmasters are ginormous um, as they've been presented. But Cupola, I'm never going to get a masterpiece Chrome Dome. I, I realize that. But Cupola is so, just so damn big. Uh, he just doesn't really fit on my masterpiece shelf. But if I had the Iron Wheel to go with him, they would go together. If you see what I mean, uh, from a from a uh, shelf perspective. Um, but, um, but really it just has to look nice. It has to fit in, uh, visually with, uh, with my masterpieces. I mean, basically from a size and design perspective, and I have to feel that the toy actually is like a masterpiece quality. Um, a lot of them are approaching, but not quite there. Well, one last thought before we go for all the, uh, all the younger listeners out there, um, I would encourage you guys to go back and, as we touched on earlier in the show, to look at uh, the Unicron trilogy 
and what your favorite characters look like back then. I think you'll be shocked. One one thing I thought of, guys, which is kind of funny and ironic, that if, if you went back to the very end of Cybertron and you showed the fandom a picture of Pandanus, I think a lot of the feedback you would get is, oh, good, they're making a much more G1 Scorponog. That's, yeah. ki- that's kind of the mindset we had back then. Um, and we could have it again, maybe, uh, if if things take a different and unexpected turn. Uh, the other thing, too, before we go, I would say, like, if if anybody out there is uh, going to buy third party, um, there is something to be said for supporting and encouraging the more original ideas out there. So um, those are definitely some things to, to look for. So shout out to, I guess, Make Toys and some of the other people for, for going out on a limb. Um, well, it's definitely a say- risk. What would you say are some of the more risky and the riskier toys besides Pandinus? You know what? I would say like in hindsight, I would say in hindsight, a lot of the make toy stuff is, um, is just like a smidge to the left or right of being slavish, probably enough to throw people off. Um, like uh, they're putting, again, well, putting transformation complexity aside and, and, and enjoyment of the toys, aesthetically speaking, strictly. They're Stunicons. They're Technobots, uh, they're Scorponok. Um, those are just different enough to say like, oh, this is somebody's vision. And take it or leave it. it it's definitely somebody's vision of what these toys are. And it's, it's, not, it's not something Hasbro would crank out. Um, you know, I think, I think they deserve a little bit of credit. Um, more so than maybe they've gotten in the moment. And that's honestly, frankly, probably one of the reasons why uh, some people haven't bought their stuff um, is that it can be a little off-putting if you're not into that kind of look. But it all does work together for what it's worth. Um, But yeah, you know, but it's like we talked about. I think being being super hardcore fans like we are, um, it usually means we're in our 30s. And it usually means that we have some kind of uh, emotional tie, whether we want to admit it or not, to the mid eighties. And that's kind of where we're drawn to. That's where we're going to throw down several hundred dollars um, for stuff, which is kind of a shame, but uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, guys, I want to thank you to Brian and Diecast for joining me on the mini cast. Always fun having you guys on. Oh, uh, you too. Yeah. And uh, before I go, here comes the hustle, the shimmy, the shake, the begging for shekels. Uh, guys, go to tfradio.net and click the Amazon link or tfradio.net slash Amazon and do your Amazon shopping. Either way, that should be your portal to amazon.com, that little startup where we buy uh, everything vital to our, our lives these days in 2016. tfradio.net slash Amazon or tfradio.net. And while you're perusing the links for all our fine podcasts, click the Amazon link. Because when you do, uh, and you check out from Amazon.com, a few nickels and dimes go into Brian Kilby's pocket. He uses those to keep the lights on, to keep the podcasts free. Because Brian keeps talking about this crazy paywall. And uh, I don't know if it's going to work, Brian. I don't know if they're going to pay your uh, $59.99 a month for this oh, content. Oh, at least $59.99 a month. I was thinking maybe 75 bucks. I mean, we're basically like the UFC, I think. He's right? lying. Um Anyway, so long as you keep going to tfradio.net slash Amazon and doing your Amazon shopping, that's not going to happen, so don't panic. Um, but seriously, we do appreciate you guys 
listening, first of all. And second of all, if you happen to click said links, even better. Thanks for the support. So until next time, for Brian, for DieCast, this is John. We'll see you on the next RFC Minicast. Music provided by bensound.com.